Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This week, we got college football back on the television screen. On this show, we're going to talk only college football and actually preview one of those games we're so glad to have you here. Welcome into the Hard Count. Today is Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023, the last one in history. So we're going to make it a great one. Like I said, we're glad to have you here. College football season is back. we got a lot of y'all that are new to the program. Welcome. As I said at the beginning of this show, it's college football only and nothing else. All right, so we got a lot to jump into. Fall camp is running through the line. A lot of high-profile scrimmages happened this past week. I'm going to give you the latest intel, latest notes from some of those camps, whether it's Alabama, Texas, Florida, a lot to unpack within those situations, so we'll give you the latest there. Overs are for winners. In Vegas, they have, they have tall buildings for a reason out there. We understand that. I'm not here to dispute that, but even so, there's a couple of win totals, a couple of teams that I think are about to cash in and make us a whole lot of money. So what are the win totals? What are the overs, rather? that we can all profit on together. We'll break that one down. Ohio State, still waiting here from Ryan Day on a quarterback decision. He addressed the media yesterday. Everybody was waiting with bated breath. Is it Devin Brown? Is it Kyle McCord? It's the end of fall camp, and that's around the time historically where Ryan Day announces who his starting quarterback is going to be. Went in front of the media and said, listen, they're both champions, both graded out as champions in our final scrimmage, so they've both earned the right to play. I asked the staff, and it was pretty much split right down the middle. So what do we make of this? With the Ohio State quarterback continue or the Ohio State quarterback battle rather continuing to roll on, where does that leave things in Columbus? We'll give you our thoughts there. And Jim Harbaugh is going to be suspended for the first three games of the season. Should be noted. That was a self-imposed suspension. That was not something where the NCAA came down on Michigan and dropped the hammer. Actually, Jim Harbaugh and company were trying to negotiate a four-game suspension. Powers that be said, nope, not good enough. So Michigan said, okay, that's fine. We'll discipline ourselves as an act of good faith. Kind of a weird situation right now. Kind of a very weird situation right now in Ann Arbor. We'll talk about that one as Cheeseburger Gate continues to rage on. Notre Dame and Navy. I told you we're going to predict one of these games. It is a 20-point spread, so it'll be a little bit more of a preview than a prediction if you catch my drift there. But we got college football back on the television screen, like I said at the top of this show. If we got ball being played... This show is about ball and only ball, so we're going to talk about ball. If we've got a ball game to talk about, we're going to talk about it. So that's kind of how that goes. Before we got on the air, too, uh, Julian Lewis, the top quarterback in the 2026 cycle. Nay, the, the top quarterback, top overall player in the 2026 cycle has given his commitment to USC. Still, give or take two years before he can officially put pen to paper on that commitment. But we'll break that one down just a little bit as we get ready here for... Julian Lewis to continue to put on a show at the high school level in the state of Georgia. Have to talk about this one. I told you we would on my Twitter page. Swamp Kings. We waited a long time for this Netflix documentary to drop. Untold did their thing with it. I watched all four episodes last night, so I'll give you my thoughts. I'll, heck, I'll, I'll give you a grade out of 10 when it comes to what we thought about that documentary. A lot to like, 
have some thoughts as well on what maybe could be improved upon should Hulu pick up the ball and run with it. But nonetheless, uh, was really impressed with that and really enjoyed watching that. Just just great to have college football back, man. Great to have y'all tuned in. We got a lot of y'all that listen, whether you're studying for class, a lot of y'all that watch at your job. However you're tuning in, however you're making us a part of your day, we're extremely grateful for that. We're extremely thankful for that. Not something we take for granted, something we get to celebrate here, college football year-round. We're glad to have you a part of this. So let's waste no more time, man. Let's jump right into it. We got fall camp scrimmage intel as fall camp finished through the line. Let's break it down just a little bit. Let's go out to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, because they're in a situation here where they have a roster in Tuscaloosa that they feel really good about. The one thing that you are probably questioning a little bit or are waiting to see some results on is who's going to start at quarterback for you? Well, at this scrimmage, we had some people that are plugged in with Bama Online that were there. And the, the intel is that overall, the quarterbacks as a group had a pretty good day. Jalen Milrow is the individual who took the first snaps with the ones. Now, it doesn't mean Jalen Milrow's a starting quarterback. It doesn't mean he's going to be your guy for all 12 games. It just means for this scrimmage, he took the first snaps with the ones. It said he looked really good, as well as Ty Simpson. There were reports from different individuals saying Ty Simpson had the best day. Some people said Jalen Milrow had the best day. Across the board, though, it was not a large gap between whoever you picked as your leader that day. Now, Tyler Buckner is a transfer quarterback from Notre Dame, followed his offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, to Tuscaloosa. And there were a lot of people, myself included, who have kind of dismissed Tyler Buckner from this quarterback derby. There are people that watched the scrimmage this past weekend and said, hey, now, is he going to win the job? I don't know, but I think it's too early to say he's just not going to be a factor in this thing. So take up that as you will. He led a 95-yard touchdown drive. Kendrick Law is a wide receiver for them that had an 80-yard touchdown catch. Malik Benson is a JUCO transfer that also had a good day. Before I move on to this wide receiver room, I want to mention Dylan Lonergan. Is he going to start for Alabama this coming season? No. Some highly recruited true freshmen. So I don't think you're throwing him to the dogs game one and saying, hey, you're our guy, let's roll going forward. But to hear the reports you've heard about Dylan Lonergan, throwing 80-yard bombs to Kendrick Law, having a good day at the office, looking serviceable and looking solid in the scrimmage as a true freshman. It says a lot about the future of Alabama. It says a lot about where things are headed under Nick Saban. There's a lot made about what Alabama is going to be going forward and about Nick Saban and where he is. And I'm just going to say this, Alabama, as long as Nick Saban's there, the way he recruits, they're not going anywhere. And Dylan Lonergan exemplifies that to a T. Back to what I was saying about the wide receivers, though. They still got a lot of dudes in that room that can play. Law and Benson were singled out, like I mentioned a second ago. Feels like the, the drops are still kind of an issue right now when it comes to what Alabama is doing in that receiver room. They don't hate where they're at. As a whole, I had to turn my brightness down there a little bit. It's getting distracted. Uh, as a whole, they, they don't hate where they're at. They have a lot of speed in that room. They feel like they need to polish up where they're at fundamentally to capitalize on all the speed they have in that wide receiver room because we said it before it's going to be ground and pound it is going to be move the line of scrimmage so when that happens you better have some dudes that can look it in and go ahead and score for you when you get those deep shots available to you and also the quarterback has to hit him in stride so kind of a mechanism that is continuing to progress but you saw some good things during the scrimmage still want to clean up those drops now the offensive line is going to be, and I said it many times, that's going to be the engine for Alabama this coming season. That is going to be what moves the team going forward. That's going to be the offensive approach. Be big, be nasty, be physical on the O-line and get after it. Caden Proctor is a name that has come up a lot during 
this fall camp session for Alabama. I mean, he he's a tra- or not a transfer, excuse me. He was committed to Iowa and then was flipped, not transferred, flipped from Iowa to Alabama close to signing day. He's going to start for them on the offensive line. A true freshman. You know how good you have to be? How physically developed you have to be to start for any SEC team on the offensive line, let alone Nick Saban and Alabama and what they're bringing to the table this coming season. So they feel really good about the offensive line. There's a certain buzz about them. Like we talked to uh, Tim Watts from Bama Online the other day on the On3 Roundtable YouTube channel, and he told us, like, they got a little bit of nastiness to them. Does this O-line like they're playing through the whistle. You got to kind of blow the whistle a few times to get them to lay off whoever they're blocking. Like, I I need that for my offensive line. I need us to have the edge. You you are the character, the personality, all that for your offense. So to hear that's kind of the direction they're leaning right now. They got that edge to them. That excites me for what they're going to do running the football. Because make no mistake, they will run the football this coming season to Alabama. That will be the approach. Now, defensively, the secondary is what's getting a lot of attention. And I think it. I think it's very much so well-deserved. Caleb Downs is a five-star true freshman. He's getting a lot of burn with the ones at safety. Kid who we, we talked about, really, as soon as he signed with Alabama, we were like, I don't know how you keep this kid off the field. So, so far along in terms of his acumen for the game, he was an early enrollee at Alabama, so you know he just started devouring the playbook, was probably just sleeping in the film room with how much he was watching. A guy that's committed to the game, and it sounds like that has paid dividends so far with him getting burned with the ones as a true freshman. Jalen Key is a transfer safety from UAB. A lot of people wanted his services. Florida State being one of those schools, Alabama ultimately ended up winning out for him. Those two are getting a lot of run. Malachi Moore is a defensive back who's moved all around the secondary for for Alabama right now. Um, I mean, he's played safety. He's played star. The bottom line with him is they're going to find a way to have him on the field. Now, what, what he looks like on the depth chart, on a roster like don't worry about that he's a starter for them in some way shape or form he will start for them going forward so as a whole for Alabama I think they're fine with everybody talking about Georgia talking about LSU like Bama's fine just kind of flying under the radar feels like the wrong term to use because it's Alabama you're never really going to be under the radar but they're fine not being picked to win the SEC they're just going to kind of stay wherever they're at and when it comes time to play games uh, they'll make sure that you feel them. So fall camp, they, they, they treat it like Fort Knox, but that's kind of the intel out of Tuscaloosa. Now week two, they welcome the Texas Longhorns to town. Let's break down what's going on at Texas. They had a, uh, really their final scrimmage this past weekend. They have a mock game coming up this next weekend, but at that point, you're not really evaluating so much as you are just kind, kind of trying to prep for game week. If that makes sense, trying to understand, okay, this is what happens when we get a penalty and this is our operation when we take the field. This is what happens if the ones go down, like a lot of operational things. So in this final scrimmage, though, Steve Sarkeesian felt like Texas, the defensive side of the ball, had had the best day. They they weren't unhappy with the offense. They felt like they did some good things. They need more consistency out of them. And if I'm a Texas Longhorn fan, hearing that the defense won the day, looking at all the weapons they have offensively, Looking at Quinn Ewers on that side of the ball, I'm like, okay, I don't love hearing that because whenever you play yourself, there's always that feeling of, well, the defense has a great day, the offense had a bad day, or vice versa. I think that's a win if I'm a Texas fan because as talented as that Texas offense is going to be, I don't have questions about can they get it done. I need to know if the defense can hold up their end of the bargain. Tavondre Sweat was a guy that Steve Sarkeesian singled out after practice. Ethan Burke. Talked about him being a blue-collar guy, rolls up his sleeve, just gets gets after is what Steve Sarkeesian said. To be able to have that kind of presence in the trenches, 
that needs to be a character trait of Texas to go and accomplish what they want to accomplish. If you want to win the Big 12, you want to make the college football playoff, you want to be able to get after it in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and, and get a win against the Crimson Tide, you have to have it up front. And so to hear the return on investment so far during fall camp is, is positive, especially from that last scrimmage, you got to be encouraged about that. Now, it wasn't all bad on the offensive side of the ball. Again, Steve Sarkeesian said they need more consistency, but Xavier Worthy, based on how he ended last year, comes out after the fact he had a broken hand. To hear that he was having an explosive day at this final scrimmage, you never wondered about Xavier Worthy. You don't have any questions about this wide receiver room. But it's, it's got to feel good to hear the rev in the engine a little bit offensively. Got to feel good to hear that Xavier Worthy is looking more and more like himself as opposed to maybe what we saw at the end of the year when he wasn't totally healthy. So as a whole man for Texas, they feel really good about their depth. He mentioned Jelani McDonald, who is a true freshman linebacker. Also played some quarterback in high school. I covered some of his games, and he was at Waco Connolly. Dude is a special athlete. They like the way that he's come along so far. The depth at Texas, going back to that, I mean, this is one of the deepest teams they feel like they've had in a minute here. And depth is the key in college football. If you watch the show, you're a college football junkie, you understand that. Depth, depth, and more depth. How does Georgia go and roll two national titles in a row? Because the ones and the twos, they pretty much look the same. And that was what Steve Sarkeesian was saying about his team after the scrimmage. He said, yeah, we're going to set a depth. We got to let these guys know so they have an understanding when it comes to this mock game. But even so, when we go from ones to twos and twos versus ones, like we, we don't see a total difference. And some of that is, you know, you're kind of taking Steve Sarkeesian's word for it because we're not in those actual scrimmages. But I don't think Steve Sarkeesian would just say that. That's, that's a pretty pretty specific statement to make so if you're a Texas fan you're encouraged about the way this depth has rolled along so far and you're excited to see it finally take the field here just a few short days let's go out to Gainesville Florida we're going to talk about the Swamp Kings documentary here in just uh just a little bit here on this live show but there was a couple players we got to make sure we, we talk about defensive line transfer from Louisville Caleb Banks is about six foot six, 255 pounds. He's going to start on the defensive line at Florida. A lot of great intel from the good folks at Gators Online. So get a membership there that they're going to keep you in the know for all things Florida. But they were, I mean, they singled out Caleb Banks as having one of the best fall camps on the defensive side of the football. And to have a guy like that, to have that kind of presence in the interior of your defensive line, or be able to line him up on your defensive line period, wherever he lines up at, the encouraging thing is just the, the overall buzz around the defensive line, Caleb Banks included, is just so much better than it was a year ago. Because the feeling was, hey, that, that, those ones, they're solid. We can win with those guys. The reality, though, in the length of a Division I college football game, especially in the SEC, your ones are not going to be available for you for all four quarters. For every single snap. Like, you got to have rotation, especially the defensive line. So, Caleb Banks, to be transferred in and to add to that depth and to be a starter for them and to, and to be a one, but to ultimately just kind of short up where they where they are right now, very, very good sign. Uh, Trahaja Mitchell, another transfer linebacker that was singled out by Gators Online as one of the top performers from fall camp, just entered into this operation at, at Florida with Billy Napier going into the second year. And you feel like this is a team that, I don't want to say needs direction, maybe structure is the right word, but bottom line, you got to have somebody step up and with Anthony Richardson leaving and with other, you know, leaders leaving that room, like you got to be able to step up and say, no, 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 this is how we're going to do things. This is the way to do things. This is the right way. 
This is the way the coaching staff wants. We're going to go as we go. So to have Trodger Mitchell, a guy who transferred in, provide that. It's a really good sign. He's going to start at them for middle linebacker. And uh, you really love the fact that you have a transfer hitting the ground running, doing things the right way, meshing right away, and being able to take other guys with him. Unfortunate news out of the Gator camp. Cam Carroll, the running back, he's going to be done for the year with a knee injury. So now where do you look after that? You look to Jacoby Jackson, who's a transfer from the JUCO level. And you also look to Trayon Webb, who's going to be a true freshman. Now, that's probably going to be a more of a situational move for Florida in terms of how they utilize those guys. I think they'll have an expanded role with Cam Carroll not being in the rotation now. But you feel really good about where you stand in that running back room with Montrell Johnson and Trevor Etienne. Those are your bell cows. You're going to go as they go. Those are your guys are handing and feeding the football to. So keep an eye on that running back room. Tough loss to lose Cam Carroll. But still, I think that's going to be a position of strength for them going forward in that running back room. All right, so that finishes fall camp intel for us here. We only do fall camp intel as long as they're doing fall camp. And for the majority of these teams, they're wrapping up. And with fall camp finishing up, you know what that means? It means we got college football to watch and talk about and digest. And, and just, it, it's our time right now. It's, it's our time. There's been a lot of talk about the transfer portal and recruiting. And those are things that we talk about consistently on this show as well. But when they start playing actual games, that's what we that's what we love man fall saturdays that's what it's all about appreciate everybody tuned in live right now if you could like the video we would sincerely appreciate that if you could also subscribe to the channel we would also appreciate that so thank you in advance for that now let's get rolling here and life is too short to bet the under right like let's just call a spade a spade life is far too short to take the under on any number now we do it on here from time to time but we're not doing it today i want to unpack some of the the best overs the most sure thing overs that we like when it comes to this college football season i got four teams for you here and if you're not into betting or into gambling that's totally fine this has a a really good i think pulse on what you can expect from these teams as well when it comes to what they're going to do throughout the rest of the season so without further ado man let's get right into it i want to talk about notre dame at the top of this thing notre dame they got an over under win total in las vegas of eight and a half you look at this number, and it just feels a little bit too good to be true, right? Like, it feels a little bit like when, when malls are, are holding up a sign saying, free iPads inside. You're like, I don't trust that. I don't like that. I don't want to get into that. I look at this, though. I kind of get that same feeling. Push it to the side. I don't care. I love, I love over eight and a half wins for Notre Dame. They won eight games last year in the regular season with a backup quarterback. Now you bring in Sam Hartman, the ACC's all-time touchdown pass leader. Like, let's roll, baby. We got three games that we're circling preseason if we're Notre Dame fans. No disrespect to the midshipmen. You feel good about where you stand going into week zero, but you got Ohio State at the crib, USC at the crib. Then you go on the road to Clemson. Those are the three that you're looking at. And so you're telling me, if I'm betting on Notre Dame, and I like where Notre Dame stands with that eight and a half, in the eight and a half over under win total, I like the over there. You're telling me, that we can have all three of those games be losses. Still finish the year with nine wins, and that hits. Stop it. Stop it. The big draw for me, I think they're going to be more solid than some people think defensively. I have just been pounding the alarm on the Jordan Botello train like all offseason long. I think he's going to be phenomenal for them. You hate to lose Isaiah Foskey, but you still bring back a lot of key pieces on that defense. They're going to be multiple offensively. Okay, they're going to have some pieces offensively now with Sam Hartman at quarterback to be a little bit more explosive. 
And when, when I look at Notre Dame, they're going to have to be able to be balanced to beat some of these teams. Like, you, you can't be one-dimensional and, you know, run, run, pass. That, that can't be the offensive philosophy of them this coming year. I don't think you brought Sam Hartman to South Bend to have him hand the ball off. So the receiver room has to step up. I think they'll be much more multiple. I feel good about where they're at. Over eight and a half wins for Notre Dame. Go ahead and lock that up. Easy cash money for the good people at home. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you like the video. All we're going to ask. Thank you so much. All right, let's move right along here. Las Vegas selling us a narrative. You know who they're selling us narrative on? The Clemson Tigers. Because they have a new offensive coordinator. They got a new quarterback. And for some strange reason, even though Clemson has won eight, excuse me, of the last eight ACC titles, Clemson has seven of them. Even so, people want to say, well, Dabo's kind of fallen back. He can't adapt to college football. They're not using the portal, all that. And I'm not even here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the over-under win total. Last year, went 10-2. And DJ Uwe Ungalale was better than he was in 2021, but he still wasn't probably what you need him to be to make the college football playoff. And we saw that result kind of play itself out. Also, the offensive philosophy, I think, is really where you point the finger. Dabo Dabo Sweeney uh, pointed the finger at both those situations and DJ Uyunglele ended up getting benched for Cade Klubnik went out and hired a new OC in Garrett Riley like things are things are moving right now but my point being you upgraded both of what you would have assumed the problems were and you won 10 games even with those problems last year the defense is going to be really solid the two big hurdles you're looking at Notre Dame and Florida State the good news for Clemson fans they're both at home they're going to have a better roster than almost everybody they play. Like that game against Florida State, Florida State brings back the most, proven, the most proven production in the country. I already told you I love Notre Dame, but even so, I think Clemson should have a better roster than them. Let's not overthink this. Let's not buy the narrative Vegas is selling. We're going to go ahead and take the over on nine and a half wins for Clemson. Lock that up. Take it to the bank. Clemson Tiger fans, I think you'll be right back in the ACC title race. Heck, I picture you to win the ACC. So roll party roll. Now here's one that's, I think, a little bit confusing. We got Kentucky at seven and a half wins. And I was sitting at my desk, prepping for this segment. Just like, what are we doing here? What are we doing with Kentucky at seven and a half wins? Because last year, the over under win total was the exact same on Kentucky based on what I checked. Will Levis, gonna be a first round pick. He's crazy, he puts mayonnaise in his coffee. He eats the banana with the peel, like all that. Seven and a half wins. They won seven games last year, went seven and five. So they hit the under on that. But even so, they scored 19 points a game. Poor Will Levis was running for his life. They had an 11% sack rate, 128th in the country. So you had less than two Mississippis throw the football. And then you, you also upgraded the quarterback this coming season, in my humble opinion. I love Will Levis and what he did at Kentucky. I think the good people in Kentucky love Will Levis and what he did there. But I think you made an upgrade, not just on the offensive line with what you did through the portal, because you did that there as well. But in Will Levis's best season at Kentucky, he threw for right around 2,800 yards, 24 touchdowns, 13 picks. Devin Leary, to be fair, has had some trouble staying healthy. But his best season also came in 2021, like Will Levis. He threw for 3,400 yards, 35 touchdowns, 5 INTs. Y'all, let's, again, let's keep the simple things simple. You helped the offensive line out through the portal. You got a better quarterback. I don't see a Coach Stoops defense having any sort of fall off. Like, they're going to be really good this year. 
I think they'll win at least eight games. They have one of the best wide receiver cores that nobody seems to be talking about for some reason. Tavian Robinson, absolute dude. Dane Key, don't know why nobody's talking about him. He put up good numbers last year. Barry and Brown, true freshman All-American for us here at On3. Like, they got some players now that they would, I think, be a little bit more of a nationally known commodity if they played with a different logo on their helmet. Even so, though, we'll take free money. We'll take Kentucky over seven and a half wins. Go ahead and lock that in. Last one I want to talk about here. This is some Kool-Aid we've been drinking really since, I guess, January, maybe even December. We've just been guzzling it, man, and we've made no apologies about it. The Wisconsin Badgers over under win total, eight and a half wins. Eight and a half wins for Coach Fickle and company. So you're telling me, they're going to lose four games, is what you're telling me. Show me the four games. Show me show me the four games that Wisconsin is just outgunned, outmanned, go ahead and pencil it in as a loss. You say, Ohio State. I'm like, all right, that's one game. That is one game, Ohio State. Yep, they've recruited better. They're more developed. As a whole, Ohio State, that's fair to say that they're probably going to be a dog in that game. I don't blame you. That one is at Madison, but besides the point. One game, cool. You say, Iowa. I said, Iowa? Iowa? Are they going to score more than 20 points a game? Well, they got Cade McNamara. No, no, no. I know they got Cade McNamara. I understand that. You're telling me they're going to score more than 20 points a game this coming season? Yeah. Okay. Even if you say yes to that, are you going to outscore Wisconsin with Tanner Mordecai and what he did at SMU? This new philosophy under Phil Longo? Like, I think that offense is going to be dangerous. Even if you say, okay, Iowa, take it. Illinois? I have the same question. They're going to score more than 24 points a game. I love the way Wisconsin's built. No Michigan, no Penn State on the schedule. Here's the thing that makes me feel so good about Wisconsin going forward. If plan A doesn't work for them, if they're not able to have success in the past game like they want to, they can still go to plan B that was plan A last year, which was give the ball to that grown man, Braylon Allen, who wears number zero, looks like an Avenger when you hand him the football and let him eat. This defense is going to be solid yet again. Like, I'm pretty sure it's, it's against most laws in Wisconsin for them to have a subpar defense. So the defense should be solid again. All that's to say, love Luke Fickle leading this operation. Eight and a half wins. All money is good money. We'll take it. It's free for Wisconsin hitting the over there. So we love Notre Dame, eight and a half. We love Clemson, nine and a half. We love Kentucky, seven and a half. Like I said, that Kool-Aid, it's sweet. We're going to keep drinking it. Eight and a half wins. All those overs for Wisconsin. Golly, we love it. We appreciate y'all locking in with us, man. We're going to have a lot of content as well on my Instagram page, at JD Pakel. Those of y'all that followed last year, we made a little bit of money together. It was a good deal for our Against the Suit series. We'll break that down more when it becomes time for that. But overall, man, even if you don't like gambling, if you don't like betting on college football, totally fine. Those are where we think those teams are going this coming season. So let's go ahead and lock that in, man. Again, if everyone who is tuned in right now could like the video, we would appreciate that enormously thank you so much we're gonna keep rolling right along here man a lot of fun we got college football back we still got to talk about julian lewis gonna talk about jim harbaugh here in a minute still gonna give you our thoughts on the swamp kings documentary we're gonna keep rolling right along here also getting your questions right now to nick break who's producing the show keeping the cue as well we're gonna break down some of y'all's questions thoughts concerns at the end of this operation man how about this this is just fun this is just fun. We all get together and talk college football 365 days a year. Let's keep it rolling right now. One thing that's also continuing to roll on, much like this show, is the Ohio State quarterback battle. Ryan Day, press conference yesterday, gets with the media, and everybody is expecting, after their last scrimmage, 
for him to announce starting quarterback because that's kind of what he's done. I mean, even when we know who the starting quarterback is going to be, we knew it was going to be Justin Fields. We knew it was going to be C.J. Stroud. He always waits till around this time. So everyone is fully expecting him to name a starter. He takes the podium, no questions, gets right into it. He says they both grade out as champions in our final scrimmage. Pretty much just says we don't feel the need to make a decision right now. They both deserve to play. So everyone's kind of like, whoa. Before he seemed a little bit against having two quarterbacks, and now he's like, we got two studs that need to play. We think deserve to play. This thing's going to keep on going. To recap it a little bit, you got two five-star quarterbacks. Two individuals that I promise you a lot of different operations across the country would trade an academic building for to get one of those guys in their, in their quarterback room. All right, Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, like I said, both five-star quarterbacks. Should be noted, Devin Brown was the number one player for us at on three during his cycle. Dude is a dog. Kyle McCord, also a dog. Wouldn't be a five-star if he wasn't. I appreciate that Ryan Day isn't just naming a guy to name a guy. Right? Like at Ohio State, with how talented that offense is, with how talented that quarterback room is, and with how the schedule shakes out to begin with and what they have leading into the season, like you don't need to just name someone to name someone. You have the luxury of picking the best player, taking your time, and letting this thing play itself out. Really quickly, make sure you're subscribed. We appreciate you in advance. This is a part of a live show. So if you haven't yet tuned into a live show, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern, Thank you so much. Roll, party, roll. What I think this says, though, about both Kyle McCord and Devin Brown is fascinating. I want to start with Devin Brown. Going into the season, going into fall camp, Kyle McCord is the more experienced guy, has been around longer, could have gone somewhere else. So he, I, I would imagine, has endeared himself to that locker room and that staff because he stayed at Ohio State, because he trusted the process and is still there. Also, Devin Brown did not get to play in the spring game. Had a minor injury. Obviously, he's good to go for fall camp, but it would be very difficult from the outside looking in for me to be convinced that Kyle McCord wasn't just a little bit ahead of Devin Brown going into fall camp. And so for Devin Brown to have made this a situation where Ryan Day, who likes to pick a quarterback by this point in the season, can't slash hasn't picked a quarterback at this point in the season, what does that tell us about what Devin Brown's been doing behind closed doors in Columbus, Ohio? What does that tell us about what these scrimmages have been like for Devin Brown? The good folks at Letterman Row, our Ohio State on three site, has been crushing it. A lot of buzz saying basically what we're talking about right now, that Devin Brown has had the more exciting scrimmages, occasional big mistake you don't love. But like for Devin Brown to make this a a real full-on quarterback derby going into the season speaks volumes to, I think, the kind of scrimmages he has had. I hope and pray that some of those scrimmage highlights get leaked somehow on Twitter and we get to check those out because I think he's been balling. So don't think we should look past that. For Kyle McCord, though, I think for him, it's it's all about proving that he has the same it factor that Devin Brown does. Because I think Devin Brown is very clearly making this a tough decision for the staff and for Ryan Day. And I think the concern with not playing Devin Brown is, okay, yes, the occasional big mistake, but do we miss out on what he could mean for the offense? Do we miss out on that explosive passing game potential that we, we, we could have with Devin Brown at quarterback? For Kyle McCord, he's making less mistakes, it sounds like, based on reading between the lines here. He was, a, he was a five-star quarterback coming out of high school. He's got tons of ability. 
the standard is just so high at Ohio State. Ryan Day has provided the standard for these guys. You be a Heisman finalist if you're the guy at Ohio State and you probably are a first-round draft pick. That's kind of the unofficial official standard within Columbus. Now, if I'm Ryan Day, and we said this a couple of months ago, not knowing this was how it was going to turn out, you look at those first three games, you're at Indiana, you got Youngstown, you got Western Kentucky. Are those three games that you're really sweating too much about losing? I understand that first game, Big Ten Conference game, you're on the road, like I understand all that. Why not let them settle it on the field? Why not let them play three games? Whoever has the best of those three games, you're our starting quarterback because for week four, we go to Notre Dame, we got it ready to roll. The beautiful thing about competition is it won't lie to you. And I'm not talking about competition in practice. That's one thing, and that's true. But I mean like real deal, bright lights, big city, live bullets. You're not wearing a non-contact jersey. That's not going to lie to you. Competition is the, is the great equalizer, the great differentiator. And we saw it last year in Ohio State fans. You're going to hate this, but like I kind of like the way Michigan did it. I kind of like the way they did it. And Spencer Holbrook made a great point from Letterman Row. He's like, yes, Michigan had a system that worked last year in terms of deciding who their quarterback was going to be. But there was a lot of internal feel in Ann Arbor that it was going to be J.J. McCarthy one way or another, somehow, some way. I don't think anybody feels a certain way about this. I think it legitimately could be either guy. And so I, I, I see no downside to letting them go out and spin it, figure it out in those first three games. Because if you lose to any of those teams, no shade on Indiana or any of those other two, Youngstown and Western Kentucky, like if you lose either of those games, you probably have bigger issues than just the quarterback room. But I would also say this too, when we look at this quarterback situation, if you're hesitant about who Ryan Day picks as a starting quarterback, whether it's Kyle McCord, whether it's Devin Brown, whoever he rides with, rest assured in two things. One, his track record. I mean, like I said, the standard has already been set of be a Heisman Trophy finalist, be a first-round draft pick. So he knows what it looks like to be a really good quarterback and to be able to be the guy at Ohio State. The other thing I would have confidence in is there is nobody on planet Earth that has more stake in the game right now than Ryan Day. Nobody feeling more pressure on the face of the universe, if that's even a term we can use, than Ryan Day when it comes to this quarterback battle. Because the last two times against Michigan, 0 for 2, and he came on this very show and told us, listen, the standard is the standard. Our guys know it. The standard is the standard. Beautiful cliche there. The standard is what it is here at Ohio State. We beat Michigan. He did not say Michigan. He made sure to say the rivalry game. We win the Big Ten. We win national titles. Now, having missed that mark the last two years, there's no hot seat pressure, but there's definitely pressure to get it done this coming season. And an enormous part of getting that done is who you have at quarterback because the defense should be better based on how they retooled through the portal, another year in Jim Knowles' system. You feel good about where you're at there. Tons of weapons, like Marvin Harrison Jr. is an absolute freak show, probably going to be a top three pick in next year's draft. Emeka Ibuka, the Robin to his Batman, he's probably a first-round caliber wide receiver, you would imagine, if not a high draft pick somewhere else in one of those top rounds. You retooled the offensive line a little bit. You have one of the best backfields in the country like it's all set up for this spaceship of an offense to do some phenomenal things but who ryan day hands the keys to is that secret ingredient that thing that's going to make the whole thing go so i promise you there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders he understands that but he's seen what success looks like at ohio state and I, one thing that encouraged me too to kind of round out this thought 
Ryan Day speaking to the media about what he wants in that quarterback position. Yes, you got to be, you know, a good decision maker. You got to make the throws, all that. Like there's, there's the obvious things that it sounds like all these guys have with the talent and leadership and all that. But he's like, you got to have the it factor. And that's something we've talked about on this show for a minute now. There are some places in college football where it's not good enough just to be the quarterback. It's not good enough just to be QB1. Like, you got to be the guy, man. Ohio State, that brand, that Buckeye sticker, just straight up the words, the Ohio State University. Like, there's a little bit of extra weight that comes with that. So you better be ready to, one, handle all that. And two, be able to propel yourself and your teammates in the midst of all that. And Ryan Day talks about on fourth down diving for the pylon and scoring a touchdown, you know, in in a big game. Like just the it factor, be able to handle that pressure, have that fire inside you. You need that. So I think it's very difficult to determine that during fall camp. And I think that's one of the reasons why this thing is going on. And I would, if it were me, let these guys decide it during the season. Here's one more thing. They're going to let them decide it during the season is is where I've arrived at with this thought. Because at this point in the year, you're through fall camp. You're not worried about fall camp anymore. You're you're pretty much into game prep at this point in time. You're not learning anything between now and the game against Indiana that you weren't trying to figure out during fall camp. Like the time for evaluation from fall camp is pretty much over. If you want to evaluate these guys, you got to do it in these games. So that's how I see it shaking out. That's what I think it will end up being. And uh, I'm excited to watch it, man. A very luxurious question mark having two five-star quarterbacks to choose from for Ryan Day and the good folks in Columbus. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch, man. I can't wait to see how that whole thing shakes out. I mean, two enormously talented guys. I said at the top of this segment, too, like, you don't think one of these teams across the country that's kind of having a question mark quarterback, you don't think they would love to have Kyle McCord in their quarterback room? Don't think they would love to have Devin Brown in their quarterback room. It is what it is. Excited to watch that one shake out. If you could subscribe, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you could like the video, we would greatly appreciate it. A lot of y'all new to the show. We're live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern, talking college football and only college football. None of the extra stuff. So let's keep on rolling here. Speaking of extra stuff, man, y'all see what's going on at Michigan? Jim Harbaugh is dealing with a three-game suspension that is self-imposed from what essentially was, was they, were, they were trying to get out in front of with the NCAA. They were working out a four-game suspension. They were trying to get done for the season. The powers that be, the infractions committee, I believe is what it's called, they refused that. So Michigan says, okay, you know what? You're going to try and get us next year and try and punish us. We're going to just punish ourselves right now. Three-game suspension for Jim Harbaugh, no problem. So we're going hard on ourselves right now so you can go easy on us this time next year when we get things rolling again. Sound good? To give you some backstory here, these issues or, or this suspension is coming because of the recruiting violations, the alleged recruiting violations, rather, that happened during a COVID-19 dead period with impermissible contact with recruits and the failure to cooperate with that investigation more or less is essentially why this whole deal has come to what it is so we'll talk more about that in a second if you can make sure you're subscribed speaking to the people that are watching the clipped version of this video we have a live show tuesday wednesday thursday 11 a.m eastern thank you so much for locking in and being subscribed and join us then okay th- this whole thing is very weird <laughs> this whole this whole thing is, is a very awkward situation if you ask me when you talk about where michigan is right now because 
the three games that Michigan is is going to play, like in terms of what it means for them, just like say your prayers for East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. Because those are the three teams that are going to have to feel the wrath of what this Michigan team is going to bring because of a suspended Jim Harbaugh. Because this team, man, I mean, you listen to what they talk about in press conferences, like they understand what it is. They feel like it's them versus the world. They feel like it's them versus the powers that be. And they're going to bring some fire, all right? They're going to bring a little bit of extra juice when it comes to playing these teams. So that'll be what it is. The 2024 ruling, though, because you would imagine there will be another suspension probably coming at the beginning of 2024. I don't know that to be true, but that's kind of how it feels. You would imagine you won't have Jim Harbaugh. Let's say the suspension is more than one game. I don't think that's a stretch. Week two, September 7th, they welcomed the Texas Longhorns to town. So it felt like they were trying to get out in front of maybe being able to have him for that game because that's going to be a game that is, at the very least, a little bit more difficult than a game against Bowling Green. No shade to Bowling Green. But what it means for this year, like, you could call me up right now to be the head coach for those three games. I promise you we'd go 3-0. and And not because I'm a great coach, just because Michigan is going to do whatever they want to those teams. That's kind of the deal. But here's my issue with this whole thing. Michigan is doing a reasonable thing trying to get out in front of the powers that be in, in this suspension and trying to sort of put some sort of good faith forward saying, hey, we understand rules were broken or rules were allegedly broken. We're handling it internally. Please take it easy on us next year. So they're doing a, ru- a reasonable thing and they're expecting a reasonable response from the NCAA. They're expecting a reasonable response from the same system, the same structure that is keeping Tez Walker and Daryl Jackson from playing football this coming season. Daryl Jackson, of course, transferred to Florida State to be closer to his mother who is ill. And the NCAA is like, nope, sorry. Not, not a good enough excuse. Tez Walker didn't even play one season of college football because of COVID. So you would imagine his clock wouldn't have started. And they're like, nope, sorry, clock started. Doesn't count. You can't, you can't transfer again. Like, you see what I'm saying here? The, the expectation is that there's going to be a reasonable response to a reasonable action when this body as a whole has never been reasonable. They've never done, and this is kind of harsh but true, they've never done like the common sense thing here. And so I don't, I don't love the fact that Michigan is, is putting their faith into this system and saying, okay, we're going to be reasonable. We're hoping you respond accordingly. Go in peace. Like, I, I don't think that's how this whole thing is going to go. I think this is actually going to probably come back and, and hurt Michigan a little bit more than they're hoping it will. I don't think this is going to accomplish what they want it to accomplish. I think the NCAA wants to see this hurt Michigan. And I don't say in the sense they want to cut them down from the legs and, and take out the Michigan football team. I don't mean it like that. What I mean is I think they want to make sure that they feel the consequences of this issue. And they refused a four-game suspension. Like I said at the top of this thing, they already said four games wasn't enough. So I I don't think that they're going to come back and say, okay, three games next year, you're good to go. Like maybe they do, maybe they don't. I talked to somebody that thinks NCAA wants six games. It's not a report. It's not official, but there's, there's a feeling that the NCAA is, is really trying to make it a, make it a point here against Michigan. And the reason why I don't think that any of this is going to turn out how I think common sense would suggest it should is because this whole situation to begin with isn't a common sense issue. 
those recruiting violations we talked about, the COVID-19 stuff, as a whole, COVID-19 and that whole issue was like an unprecedented time in history. So there's a lot of gray area to deal with there. The other part is the impermissible like recruiting violations was buying burgers for recruits. I understand that's not the only thing that happened in the situation. I understand there was like a failure to cooperate and all that. But like at the end of the day, we're talking about cheeseburgers. We want to suspend a head coach for like a third of the season over some cheeseburgers? Are we, have we lost our minds? Is that really, really a punishment that fits the crime here? I don't think so. So nothing throughout this whole thing has been reasonable. I worry for Michigan doing a reasonable thing and not getting a reasonable response back. Just kind of the reality of what I think this whole thing looks like right now. So unfortunate. Hate to see it. Not ideal for anybody involved. But Jim Harbaugh has a self-imposed suspension for three games. Fully expect Michigan to go 3-0. and We'll revisit this this time next year and see where things stand for Jim Harbaugh and company. Another quick note here when it comes to that whole situation. I think a lot of people are seeing that whole deal with Jim Harbaugh, Michigan, and saying, oh, all right, writing's on the wall. He's gone to the NFL next year. I don't know if I totally think that's true. I was talking to somebody over uh, close to that program at Michigan, and they were saying, like, hey, it makes, like, like the logic in itself in a vacuum makes sense, but, like, we got to remember, we're talking about Jim Harbaugh here. Whenever you have a, a logical expectation, maybe check that a little bit when it comes to him. Because when, when, when people zig, he likes to zag. So I, I, I do not think that's going to be the case at this point in time. But the beautiful thing about this sport is we get to watch it all play out. So that'll be a lot of fun. Now, another beautiful thing about the sport is that recruiting is the lifeblood of it. So if you haven't yet subscribed, I mean, the inside scoop with Josh Newberg is just weekly bangers i mean multiple shows a week he's dropping all the intel all the scoop would encourage you to lock in so you don't miss any of it this is a topic i imagine he will discuss with a little bit more intel but julian lewis the number one quarterback and the number one player in the 2026 class has committed to usc julian lewis about six foot and a half 185 pounds as a freshman yes i said 2026 as a freshman turned in 4,000 plus yards passing at the varsity level 48 touchdowns. Dude's a baller now. My guy can sling it a little bit. And we love here at On3 how polished he is. I feel like he's a little bit, I say we, the people that handle scouting with Charles Power and Cody Belair have been crushing it. They're the best evaluators in the business. They love how polished he is as a passer. They also love how he navigates the pocket really well. When I watch his tape, I see Julian Lewis dropping back. And it's not like he gets a rush and he just tucks it and runs and makes the most of it. He's able to do that. But a lot of it is him extending the play, you know, shifting up in the pocket, running out to his right, eyes downfield, finding an open receiver. Like, I think he's a, he's a pretty solid navigator of the pocket in that sense as well, as I think what they're getting at. Long way to go before he can sign. Long way to go. So there's going to be a lot of people saying multiple things about this, and we'll break those down in a minute. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. Thank you so much. For those of y'all that are watching the live show, when I, whenever I'm saying this, I'm saying it because there's a lot of people that are going to watch this clip later. So we appreciate you for being patient while we encourage those that are going to watch the show live in the future uh, as we encourage them to subscribe. So thank you so much. All right. Two ways to look at this, though. This is not just me doing the fight on thing. I'm, I'm saying there are two ways to look at this if you are a USC fan. You can see this as an obstacle and say, oh, man, in the state of Georgia, 
Georgia wants him, Bama wants him, and they got a while now before he can sign. I mean, they're going to have a lot of chances to try and flip him, man. Like, I don't know if I like this. I don't know that I like he's committed so early. Now, now we got to play the keep away game of keeping him committed to us. It's one way to look at it. I think the, the more optimistic way to look at this is you now have a runway with Julian Lewis committed to your 2026 class to carry the torch and recruit as many people as possible to join him in Los Angeles. Because USC, they will have been in the Big Ten for a couple of years at that point in time. So now you have a face of your class to promote everybody else to come with him and, and start doing some good things at USC. And for USC, man, this is just another example of Lincoln Rally doing Lincoln Rally things. Like Julian Lewis, when he talked about why he chose USC, the majority of that conversation, the majority of that decision was made because of what he's done at the quarterback position. Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Caleb Williams, all got Heisman trophies somewhere in their living rooms. Jalen Hurts making a whole lot of money in the NFL. Like we see what he's done at the quarterback position. And that was why Julian Lewis wanted to go to USC. And so if you're a quarterback on the recruiting trail now and you have a USC offer, Lincoln Riley has built USC to a point where I think if you're going to say no to USC, you have to have a solid explanation. Before it was, okay, if you want to not go to a certain school because the other school is a better fit for you, by all means. But the proof is in the pudding at USC. You want to go play quarterback at a high level in college and want to go have a really good chance to have a great NFL career? Like, okay, USC makes a lot of sense then. I say great NFL career relatively loosely. I understand Baker Mayfield, number one overall pick. Kyler Murray, number one overall pick. You hear what I'm saying. The track record speaks for itself. So it's at a point now where Lincoln Riley and USC just attract great quarterbacks. As long as he's the guy there, they are always going to have a great quarterback. And when you attract great quarterbacks, going back to the recruiting trail, what else happens? Great players want to play with great quarterbacks. I'm a receiver. I want someone that can throw me the rock. I'm a running back. I want someone that can make it a lighter box for me. I'm a defense. I'm a, I'm a linebacker. I'm, on, I'm in the secondary. I'm a defensive lineman, whatever. I want to know that when we get off the field, we have someone under center who's going to give us a good chance to score, go score points and win a lot of football games. Like You hear what I'm saying? It all compounds on each other. And so for Julian Lewis now to be locked in at USC, they're going to have a chance to build this class up going forward. So 2026 is still obviously a, a fair amount away. But I would not be surprised in the slightest if this gave USC a bit of a head start now when it comes to that 2026 class. And uh, we'll see where they finish on signing day when all that happens. But Julian Lewis, number one overall player in 2026, is locked in with Lincoln Riley and the Trojans. I'm telling you, man, recruiting never stops. A 2026 quarterback, and we're talking about it on this show. You got Pete Thamel tweeting about it. It's a big deal, man. Recruiting is a, is a big deal, but y'all are already locked in here. Y'all are college football lifers, so you already knew that. If everybody that's watching right now could like the video, we'd be well over 100 likes. We've got a nice little streak going right now, so if you could hit the thumbs up button underneath, that'd be phenomenal. We're going to keep on rolling now. This show is about ball and only ball. And that's what you love, that's what we love. A lot of extra stuff that people are kind of trying to force into your face, but really we just want this game. We just want fall Saturdays. We want 11 on 11. I want my team versus your team. Let's line it up. Let's see who's better. That's what this whole thing is built on. And the wonderful part about this week, we got week zero. Man, we are so back. <laughs> college football. College football is so back. We have a good game this upcoming week in Ireland. Notre Dame, Navy. Let's break it down, man. First preview prediction of the year. Notre Dame favored by 20 and a half. 
So predicting this game, not maybe quite as much skill baked into that, but I think when you look at Notre Dame, I mean, the Sam Hartman era begins. That's that's the big storyline, right? Is he is now going to be the guy for them under center, six-year guy, played a lot of football, ACC's all-time touchdown pass leader, a lot of key productions also back for Notre Dame. Majority of that running running back room is back. Audric Estime, you're excited to see what he does this coming season. The bottom line for Notre Dame, they have invited the pressure. I was talking to, to Tyler Horka over at BlueGold.com, and he was saying, essentially, like, Marcus Freeman didn't have to go out and get a quarterback. He had Tyler Buckner start last year for him. He was going to come back and probably would have been your guy should you not go to the portal. And nobody would have faulted Marcus Freeman if he had done that. But even so, he says, no, 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 the standard is the standard here at Ohio State. At Ohio State. At Notre Dame. He comes from Ohio State, where there's a high standard as well. Standard is the standard at Notre Dame. We are trying to win a national title. If we can get better at the most important position via the transfer portal, let's go do that. So he goes out and gets Sam Hartman and Notre Dame for a number of reasons, has a ton of buzz around them this coming season. But even with that being said, they, they do play another team on Saturday. It's not just going to be go ahead and roll the ball out there and collect the win and go back home. Like They play Navy. And I want to kind of break down what would be the recipe for a Navy upset. We'll talk about that in a second. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you like the video. Thank you in advance for that. All right, so for Navy, they are built on the triple option offense. And you say, okay, well, that doesn't, doesn't really, you know, get me super juiced, J.D. I, I like seeing them throw the ball around. I want to see Sam Hartman throw it. When it comes to Navy, though, with this triple option, what I think you can watch for if you're a Notre Dame fan, the triple option tests discipline. It is all about alignment. It's all about assignment. So if Notre Dame has problems lining up to the triple option, having trouble being disciplined, like I think you start to become a little bit more worried about the Notre Dame defense the rest of the season. Not because you don't look great against Navy, but because of what that says about what you got going on internally at Notre Dame. So don't take it just at face value. Take it as a temperature. Take it as a, as a litmus test for how far along this Notre Dame defense is and their acumen to, to get lined up. Because it doesn't need to be like a bunch of 60-yard touchdown runs for Navy to win this football game. Winning for Navy situationally here is about winning on first and second down and setting up third and three, third and two. If Navy can live in third and three, third and two, that then forces Sam Hartman likely to watch long drives from Navy. Because third and three, man, they're going to pick that up more often than not if they're on their game that day. And so if they're able to make Sam Hartman watch, well, that takes pressure off the defense and it allows Navy to control the tempo of this game. Navy wants to make this football game gross. Like, to be real, they, they want to make this game 23-17 kind of game that they can win in Ireland. That would be the hope for them. So the test for the front seven, going back to this, Jordan Botello talked about him a lot all offseason. Can him and the rest of that front seven be consistent? Because it's going to be grimy. It's going to be a lot of the same look. A lot of the, the triple option looks the same from snap to snap. It's going to be monotonous. It's going to be boring. Can you consistently crash for the defensive end or, or hold and, and make him give it can you do what's required of you playing and play out not get bored with it to get your offense back on the field because that's really what I think the differentiator is how in sync is Notre Dame offense with Sam Hartman especially the pass game are we like Justin Timberlake in sync or are we like a bad movie with a bad voiceover kind of in sync what do we look like week zero I'm not saying it has to be how you are the rest of the season but week three you go to NC State if you're Notre Dame, 
You want to have a little bit of confidence, a little bit of mojo going into that game. And the big question all offseason for Sam Hartman and company, what does that receiving room look like? I'm watching Jaden Thomas. Big dude. I mean, if you follow the Notre Dame social media accounts, Notre Dame football social media accounts, rather, they've posted some clips of Jane Thomas climbing the ladder and just looking, looking like he's ready to roll, to put it simply. So are they able to kind of get some mojo on the, the pass game side of things? Because if they can, you build a really nice base going forward. And in this game specifically, if you put pressure on Navy to score points, like you get up 14-0, 17-0 on Navy, it's going to be very difficult for them to be able to overcome that kind of margin because the offense itself the triple option offense it's not explosive it's not let's run and gun it's not let's go score 40 points a game they're trying to control tempo like I said so if you put pressure on them to not be able to run their offense and not be able to just use the clock because they're behind like then things get a little bit out of control for the midshipmen so we are still going to predict this one we're also going to give you what we think about that spread I think that the Fighting Irish offense does look explosive. I think they do hit on some big plays downfield. And I also think that front seven for Notre Dame, at the end of the day, even if they have a few missed assignments, it's week zero for everybody, even if they aren't totally on their P's and Q's right off the bat, they're going to have so much athleticism that I think is going to maybe just overwhelm Navy. And so I like Notre Dame to win this one. I also think they cover the spread. I think they cover that 20 and a half. I think the final score... Is 41 17. Wouldn't it be surprised if we see Notre Dame have a little bit of a surge in that second half to kind of push us over that 20 and a half number? So we like Notre Dame to win, like him to cover. College football is back. A lot of previews and predictions coming down the pipe here very, very soon, right here on this show. Uh, I want to say a quick thank you to everybody that's tuned in because a lot of y'all, and I've seen in the comment sections, a lot of y'all will say, listen, dude, you tell us to subscribe like, every five minutes we don't need all that what what that's for is for the people that watch the clips later to make sure that we get to bring them along with us so it's not just a, oh i watched a video but i forgot to join the party and subscribe and now, now i'm not a, a part of this anymore like for all of us that's a missed opportunity what, what makes this special is a college football community so we're not going to continue to do it maybe quite at that rate because i understand that is a little bit much when you're saying subscribe 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 every couple of minutes but just thank you for y'all that are tuned in live and that do put up with that and understand it is for the greater good of this program and y'all being a part of that program. So thank you for that. Before we get to y'all's questions, concerns here, and just some of your thoughts, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Swamp Kings documentary. Because it came out at 2 a.m. this morning, if you're on Central Standard Time. And, I mean, th th there was a lot. There's a lot to talk about with this one. I mean, the hype around this documentary it was nearly impossible to live up to, right? I mean, this was a documentary that you would see talked about even before we knew we were going to get it. Like, even before this was going to be a reality, you had people posting, like, years ago, man, it would be so cool if Netflix did a documentary on the 2006 to 2009 Florida Gators. That would, I mean, that, that era, I mean, you had Tim Tebow, you had Urban Meyer, you had Brandon Spikes, Aaron Hernandez was on that team. Like, what, what a wild time in college football. And also, they were really, really good. One new, one, one, two national titles. Like, there's a lot to unpack with that. So the hype was nearly impossible because you're trying to capture one of the most wild and unique eras slash teams in college football history in a four-episode series. So... Without further ado, I, I watched all four episodes last night, and uh, we're going to kind of break down our, our thoughts on this. I mean, Brandon Seiler, 
was a linebacker at Florida. And I loved Urban Meyer in this. I loved Tim Tebow in this. But even so, I thought Brandon Seiler may have been the star of that entire documentary series. I mean, he was extremely transparent, was extremely insightful. His storytelling was even second to none when it came to him talking about his time at Florida and what he did after Ohio State ran the opening kickback. I don't want to give away too many spoilers when it comes to stories. He told some great stories. I thought they were phenomenal. I loved hearing him talk about what Florida was when he got there to what they were when he left. Because that was a guy that was... He, he wasn't at Florida when they were, you know, just up and rolling right away. Like, he didn't walk into a winning operation. He got there. Urban Meyer got there, built that thing from the ground up, really appreciated his vantage point. Also, I loved all the footage they had from their workouts and the midnight lifts. Like, that gave us, I think, a really good visual into what it was actually like being within an Urban Meyer coach team and, and the way that they ran things when it came to strength conditioning because so much of this to me was about capturing like what was the feeling like within this team? What was what was the buzz around Florida? And I thought that they did a really good job doing that, especially with some of those behind-the-scenes footage. I, I loved that. That was something that got me fired up, man. I was watching with my wife, and she was like, honestly, I think I'm ready to play right now. I think I'm ready to go run through a brick wall and play for Coach Meyer and play in the swamp. And I was like... This is awesome. All right. Now, what I wanted more of, though, I felt like there were times where throughout this documentary series, felt like it was kind of narrating the whole thing. Like, I already know that Florida won two national titles. I don't need to get the play-by-play for that. What I want is for this to live up to the series title, which is untold. I want you to tell me what I don't already know. I want to hear all the behind-the-scenes stories. Not to say there wasn't any of those, but I would have appreciated maybe just a little bit more of that. There were some things that just, quite frankly, weren't touched on at all that I would have loved to hear more about because they're fascinating and I think they're I mean, integral to the story to some degree. Like, there was very little talk. I don't think there was any talk about the Pouncy Twins. Like, no mention of them at all. Two NFL offensive linemen. We're not even talking about them. Also, Aaron Hernandez. I don't think there was any mention of what he was like in the locker room or the kind of teammate he was or any of that. And I'm not saying this because I think we need to, you know, unpack more of his story. There's a whole Netflix documentary series on that. But I just think that the fascination with this team is the locker room and all the different individuals you have, like Brandon Spikes, who was also great, Tim Tebow. Um, I would have just loved to hear more insight into what that locker room was like specifically and less overarching generic yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, we were superstars in Gainesville. I would have loved to hear a little bit more overall, a little bit more uh, behind the scenes when it came to what that locker room was like. Overall, though, man, for four episodes, for as much hype as this documentary had, for as much as, as we were expecting, I really thought that they did a phenomenal job. I only watched it once. There are other people within our organization that have watched it multiple times. Nick De La Torre at Gators Online has a great full write-up on this whole thing. Uh, for me, I'm giving it an 8.7 out of 10. Definitely got to watch it. I'll probably watch it again, to be honest with you. Very, very happy we got this. Very, very grateful that the powers that be at Netflix got this thing done. And uh, yeah, good watch. 8.7 out of, us, out of uh, 10 for us. And uh, we'll go ahead and give that a B+. Alrighty, rolling right along here. Everybody tuned in live. We appreciate you. Also, everybody tuned in on podcast, man. We appreciate y'all. I understand there's a lot of y'all that listen via podcast. 
and some of y'all have hit me up in, in direct messages so thank you for that continue to do that and let me know where you're listening how you're listening because that's one of the most enjoyable parts for us is hearing where the program is at across the country across the world i mean i've had people hit us up from england from other countries i mean we we appreciate y'all locking in with us and uh, would love to hear how where y'all listen it's a lot of fun so to keep this thing rolling to close it on out let's talk to the man producing the program that's nick break nick how we doing my guy Hey, did you just give something an 8.7? 8.7 out of 10. Eight points. <laughs> I kind of feel like you a little bit. I don't have you a letterbox should. account, but I kind of feel kind of feel like you. That's so spe- <laughs> so unbelievably specific. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll take it. We're, we're not going to just we're not just going to halfway this thing. Eight we got to let half? people know, you know. So it's better than eight and a half. Better than eight and a half. Um, if it were a paper, it would have come with probably a few markings in red ink and said, "Hey." maybe some questions there. I don't think you would have gotten a like, hey, see me after class because it's an 8.7, so it's really pretty good. But yeah, yeah, overall, man, I think think there's some room for improvement. See a lot of potential in that student. See a lot of potential in that story. And uh, yeah, just something to be desired. But hey, it is what it is. It's done, though. It's a limited series, right? It's a limited series. Um, (coughs) Sorry, frogging my throat. Um, You know how there's always, I shouldn't say always, Every now and then, like Netflix will do a series or do a documentary, and then Hulu, like a few months later or a few weeks later, will come out with their own. Like, I would have loved to see Hulu's rendition of this and the Johnny Manziel Untold. I think both those, I I mean, selfishly, would just love to see more of it, to be real. Like, it's a great story for both those. And second, I would just love to see if we can't dig a little bit deeper on some of those things, Nick, you know? Absolutely. Hey, we've got some good questions. We have a lot of questions, a lot of people in the chat today. Um, getting to war, uh, Craig, um, always one of our our favorite commenters. SJD, fun hypothetical question here. Pick a school, and you'll become the next head coach of that school. What school are you hypothetically taking the helm for, and what offense and defense are you going to install? Wow, that's an in depth question. Yeah, you know. So I think if if, if um evaluating where I want to go, be a head coach of. It's hard to just pick one school, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a couple. I think if I'm if I'm taking a job that is maybe attainable, like hey, maybe Gus Malzahn in a few years, maybe he wants to just kind of be with the family and hang out. I think UCF, Nick, being the, the the size that they are as a school, being in the Big Twelve Conference, being in the state of Florida with all the recruiting juice they have, like I would take a very hard look at UCF. I also think you got to look at one of the schools in the state of Texas, like recruiting for me is probably at the pinnacle of what I'm or recruiting access to recruits rather is probably what I'm looking at in order to uh to be successful long term what offense and defense are we running man I'm, I'm probably running something like Josh Heupel and Jeff Lebby and Zach Kitley I'm spreading them out I'm getting a quarterback that can wheel and deal a little bit getting a couple of three stars that can just absolutely burn downfield and we're going to throw the ball all over the yard uh defense we'll play a three three five We'll have you know our, our three down linemen, three linebackers, five DBs. We're going to have physical DBs, right? We're going to have some guys that can come up and lay the lumber, kind of Cam Chancellor type. So we got a very specific plan here, Nick, for us at UCF yeah. as we continue to build this thing into a uh, national title contender. We'd, we, we'd do it, too. We, we would take yeah. the, uh, the Urban Meyer approach to workouts, and we'd be hardcore about it. We'd get them ready to go and uh, be a tough football team, Nick. So... So... To pick a lot of schools. That, that's where I fall You picked a it. few, but hey, that's better than none, right? Yeah. Um, Reed Shannon, whose question I was about to ask, then says, Nick, I know you want to read my question. I do personally want to read this question. Mm. It's a good one. Uh, my mouse isn't scrolling, though. Okay, here it is. Ask JD, 
Who do you think has the best chance of being talked about in the future Heisman conversations? Arch, Nico, Dante Moore, Jackson Arnold, or Malachi Nelson? Mm. Love it. That's a very good question. I think I'm going to go ahead and... So they're all in the conversation, to be real. I think when you talk about the Heisman Trophy, you talk about teams that are going to be in that college football playoff contention. And so Dante Moore at UCLA could definitely happen. I don't know that I see UCLA being a team that's going to be within that like top 10 range. Now the playoffs expanding, but as the big 10 moves and they get into the big 10, I think that could be a little bit of tricky sledding for UCLA overall. Not to say anything about Dante Moore, but I think that could be tricky. Uh, man, I'm going to really watch closely Nico Yamaliava because he's the number one player for us here at on three. So dude's going to be a stud and he's going to play in a really quarterback friendly offense, which is not a negative term, but he's going to ball. He's going to put up numbers. I watch Nico pretty closely. Nick, I'm really interested to see what Malachi Nelson does. I mean, we just talked about what Lincoln Riley has done at USC and what he's built there, and you're trusting his track record. I mean, he's got three quarterbacks that have all won a Heisman Trophy, plus Jalen Hurts, plus Caleb Williams is going to have a chance to win another one this coming year. So if I'm putting money down, I'm probably putting the majority of my cash on both of those two. But Jackson Arnold and Arch are also going to have great careers. So that's that's kind of covering all our bases there, but... To, to give you my, my final answer, Nico and, and Malachi are the two that I would probably look most closely at. Uh, if we could get this video to over 100 likes, we would appreciate that enormously. Yeah. That, that'd be about, uh, give or take, 10 more likes, and uh, that'd yeah. be phenomenal. So thank you so much for more that. Here. 88 done. We need 12 more. Uh, really quick, J.D., I always love reading the comments. Um, if, I've got, if it's not too busy in here, I always like to. Brad Smith is going to war right now. His palms are sweating, typing up a storm. Everybody's on him. Really? Brad, keep fighting the good fight. Are his friend. knees weak? Sorry? Are his knees weak? <laughs> his, his palms are sweaty? Yeah, maybe. We think? He's going crazy How's right his now. sweater? Is there, any, is there any spaghetti on his sweater that potentially There's a little bit. Been, There's a little bit. You know, from his mom. Yeah. I love that, though. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what he's saying, so I don't want to endorse it. But I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't. Love, know. I love to see the energy in there. <laughs> oh, a lot good of stuff. well, that's a lot of Michigan hate. So good stuff. Um, okay, I well, don't agree personally because I think Michigan's a very good. Football yeah, team. we're not taking sides there. We just love yeah. to see passion. That, that's oh, yeah. what we love about college football, Nick. A little bit of passion, a little bit of pageantry. Yep. Obviously, a little bit more of the uh, of the former in there here from our from our guy Brad. But there we go. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot more of the former. Uh, JD, uh, really quick. Um, I'm trying to look for a good question. you have anything to plug about the show? Yeah, you know what? We've had a lot of y'all ask, where do I get a program shirt? Not for sale anywhere. They're not sold online anywhere. I told y'all, hey, we get over 100,000 subscribers. We will tell y'all how to get them, how to get one, how to win one, rather, because they're not going to be for sale. They're going to be something that you have to win. So I wanted to just say this. We have not forgotten about that. I have not thrown away any ideas just yet. Before we start week one, we will have a solid answer for you on how to win one. So in order to make sure you don't miss how to win one, I would imagine that following me on social media will be a critical part to that, as well as subscribing to the channel if you haven't already. So just want to make sure you know, have not forgotten, there will be program shirts won here in the very near future. All right. So thank you in advance for, uh, for locking in with us and for, for being about that. Okay, JD, one more. Let's do it, man. One more. Let's also let's get over a hundred likes here. We're four. We're four yeah, away. Yeah, we can do that. You know, I, it's we 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 bug because we care. You know. Okay, we that's true. Uh, first of all, Jonathan Rayfield, love the show. Um, thank you very much, Jonathan. Asked a question. I, you're gonna have to interpret this because I was trying to think. I I don't even really see what it means. Oh no, never mind. I do, JD. I apologize. You're great. Matt Rule has handed out multiple single-digit numbers. 
I forgot about that happening. Uh, what are your thoughts on those players who earned them so far? You know, I, I haven't actually taken a good look at the list of the guys that have won a single digit. I will say this, though. The dudes that win single digits historically go on and have pretty solid careers a- across mm-hmm. whatever they choose to do. A lot of those guys have great careers in the NFL. Uh, so for those of y'all that aren't sure what we're talking about here, Matt Rule, at I believe everywhere he's been, has had a system to where if you want to wear a single-digit number, you got to earn it. The way you earn it, by being exemplary in terms of what he cares about with his values, being the toughest, hardest-working, most competitive team in the country. Also, being able to just be a dude on the football field, like he's not handing out the single-digit jersey number if, if you're not taking care of business between the white lines. So if you get awarded a single-digit jersey number, it means that guy's going to be a guy for you, and he's been a guy for you behind closed doors. So Nebraska fans... Keep an eye on that and keep an eye on who's winning those. Also probably says something to you about who are those alpha males in the locker room and who are the leaders. So we'll uh, we'll do some recon there and give you some more intel and give you some more thoughts on the single digits. But a great question. And uh, yeah. yeah, man, that's just that's how they do it at Nebraska. It's how Matt Rule has always done it. And I'll tell you this too. People want that, that jersey number. Like I remember being at Baylor when the jersey numbers had yet to be handed out. And there were guys that wore a single digit the year before and it was not guaranteed you were getting a single digit the next year. You had to earn it every single offseason. So guys are taking pictures in one jersey. Then once they win their jersey, or earn their jersey rather, their new jersey single digit number, they got to come back for media day, take another picture. And, and anyway, just it's, it's something that I think is, uh, is a phenomenal carrot for a lot of these guys and, and identifies who your leaders are. So a yeah. great question. J.D., what was your number at Cornell? I was number four. Number but Matt Rule hey, was, was, was single digit. Yeah, man. <laughs> it was single digit. It was not the same system that Matt Rule had in place. It was just a, hey, can I get this number? And the equipment manager would take care of you. So that was how that went. But yeah, I don't want to don't toot my own horn there, Nick. But we were uh, we were a single digit. You were single. Were yeah. You a what, single what were you? Digit what were you in high school? Oh, I, I was a tw- I was number twenty five as a place kicker. It was basically uh, in a situation where it was the only jersey that was small enough to fit me because I. Uh, was under 130 pounds, so I needed a pretty small jersey. Yeah, but hey, you were you were cash money though. Cash money. You were cash money. Kickoff specialist. Oh yeah. Yeah, the man. Well, Nick, I appreciate you, man. <laughs> what do you say we do this again tomorrow? Dude, we're gonna we're gonna go crazy on a Wednesday, man. As is par for the course. Nick, appreciate you, brother. Yeah. See you in the morning. Nick Break, heavy lifter extraordinaire. Appreciate y'all being tuned in live. As you know now, we are into not once, not twice, but three live shows a week. Got a lot to unpack here on this show. College football does not stop. We don't either. I say this every single time, but we we mean it from the bottom of our hearts. Genuinely, thank you for being a part of this show. Thank you for making this show what it is. Thank you for subscribing, liking, all that, because that's just a great way for us to get feedback on how y'all feel about the show, and that's of the utmost importance to us. Priority number one is supply and demand. So whatever y'all demand, we supply. And uh, we'll be back here same time tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern chop it all up with y'all regarding all things college football ball and only ball college football back this weekend we'll talk about it some more tomorrow i'm jody Pacal. we love y'all we appreciate y'all we're gonna keep this party rolling and we will see y'all next time